Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week, because this is our last episode before we go on Christmas break, we watch Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan and released in 1988. Die Hard tells the story of John McClane, a hard-bitten New York cop who returns to LA to win back his wife Holly, only to find himself stuck in her building as terrorists take Holly and her co-workers hostage. Well, not terrorists. Well, no, non-terrorists. Not e- no, however, <laughs> I, in case you wanted the last three people on Earth who've never seen it, maybe I don't. I, d- know. I don't know if we have to warn for spoilers. No, for I'm Die not. Hard. I wasn't if you planning haven't on seen it. Die Hard. Then uh. <laughs> that's f- no. I, we don't have to warn for spoilers on a 25 year old movie. That's all cool. And also, we should wish Die Hard a happy 25th birthday because it was released in 1988, so mm-hmm. it makes it 25 years old. Wow, it's younger than War Games. Yeah, that's true. It's younger than some things and older than others <laughs> it's hard it's just hard for me to imagine a world before die hard because die hard is like the um the apocryphal i don't think that's the Temp- right word plate no it's it's like the standard to which all other movies action movies action movies aspire i mean yes. this is like the action movie mm-hmm. basically since this movie nearly every action movie has had like something to some debt to pay to die hard mm-hmm. yeah there's a whole heap of movies that can be called Die Hard on a Plane or Die Hard in the Country or Die Hard in – I was about to say Die Hard in an Airport, but that's Die Hard 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is an actual Die Hard. Yeah. But, yeah, there are a whole lot of Die Hard in a somethings. Mm-hmm. Um, die Hard on a Boat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's die Hard on a Bus. Yeah. Yeah. Speed is yeah. Die Hard on a Bus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, the movie stars Bruce Willis coming off Moonlighting where he was famous for doing comedy. Yeah. And so this was like his f- – unbelievably his first sort of foray into action movies and yeah. he's still got that kind of comedy thing going. Yes, as well before he turned into Bruce Willis of the uh, unflattering anecdotes you'll hear on the Kevin Smith podcast. <laughs> isn't isn't that mostly a Bruce Willis knows his thing and just does that thing all uh, the time? That's how he sells it because he's still a fan um, and I'm still a fan too so I understand why but I, I there's clearly so much tension there. Mm. Apparently if he's really interested in your project and he loves what he's doing, he will turn up and be – there's a great conversation on um, Smoothie Makers where he talks to Ryan Johnson, the director of Looper, and they have this fantastic like four-hour conversation over two different podcasts and they talk about Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis apparently just adored Looper. So he showed up early, knew all his lines, he did everything. He was like totally switched on, amazing magic. But Cop Out, which, let's be honest, isn't as good, <laughs> and even Kevin Smith admits this, He uh, Bruce Willis was not really engaged with the material. He was not that interested in doing it, so he just wasn't really keen on being there, I think, was the way yeah. it was. Uh, yeah, anyway, there's, there's stories. I've got to see Looper. I want to see that movie. Oh, it's so good. We should watch it. Yes, we should. It's so good, yeah. It's another one where I was like, I want to go see this at the movies, and then it wasn't at yeah. the movies anymore, and I was like, oh. I don't want to talk about, um like, Bruce Willis now or what the Die Hard movies have become because I actually want to talk about Die Hard because Die Hard is pretty much a perfect action film. It is. It is a flawless action film. It is hard to find a flaw with this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, apart from, you know, depiction of women, but that's like yeah. the standard complaint for pretty much any um, action movie. And Holly Gennaro does pretty well out of this movie. She is pretty awesome. She really is. I, I like her and she does ha- has a cool role. But I, gr- I kind of agree with you. It's actually really good in terms of diversity. It's got quite a diverse cast. Mm. But in terms of the way it treats women, it's pretty... 
Well, racially diverse cast. Racially, yes. Yeah, but I think there's only like a few speaking parts for women and one of them is the whole, is the pregnant woman mm. at the party whose role is mostly to scream a lot mm-hmm. and then complain about being pregnant while being held hostage, which to, is a fair complaint, but, you know, that's basically all she does mm. is, like, she's in peril. And then you've got Holly. Yeah. Who's... And I think at the beginning of the movie there's a flight attendant. <laughs> yeah, there there aren't really any women, but I think this is when they discovered that they could market action movies to young men, I guess. And so that's what they were going for. They were going for a guy who was popular on TV and they might get some young guys out to see his movie. There was a whole bunch of other action movies with Schwarzenegger and Stallone and those guys, like big, pumped, ripped guys. And they kind of wanted one that was a bit more about an everyman, I think. Yeah. I think, well, the thing about this movie is that, like, it's so well crafted. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is sort of on point from, like, the music is great yeah, um, the music is fantastic. They use "Ode to Joy" and like some Christmas music and stuff like that. Mm. Um, the cinematography I took notes on because I was really excited. Well, I mean, about the cinematographer it. is Jan de Bont, who is in his oh, own right, right. and a highly accomplished director and yeah. extremely fabulous cinematographer. Which makes sense because mm. I was talking, I was writing in my notes, which I wrote about how they use the architecture in the in the cinematography. Yeah. So there's all these shots like through things and over the top of things and under things in the building to make the building feel like it's a real character, mm. which is important when you have an entire movie set in a building, mm. which is the Nakatomi building, of course. But yeah, mm-hmm. it it's so cleverly sort of devised and they use all these different parts of the building that you may not think of to mm. use. And now it's like pretty common to have all of the elevator shafts and the roof and all that sort of stuff. But then it wasn't that common. It, this was like a no. prototype for that sort of thing. Yeah, and it was um no, it, it's really good. And of course, the the building in terms of social commentary, this film has a very particular and conservative bent to it. And it's the whole idea of these big glass towers in the sky where people go every day. It was probably in the eighties, still a relatively recent development. And also, this is this is contemporary with movies like Wall Street. So you get like your um, cocaine addicted futures trader and all that, those kinds of characters in there. Yeah, yeah so Harry the building Ellis. itself is almost like a symbol of corporate culture kind of thing in this, this giant tower of glass that is supposedly impenetrable that is just you're supposed to stand there and nothing will happen to it. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I think um it's it's not a like they show different sort of aspects of the business world though. I mean, like there's mm-hmm. some there's some good guys in there. Um particularly Nakatomi himself is like he's a really really stand-up guy. Mm. Um and he is basically a hero in this movie. It's a really positive portrayal of like the Japanese guy who's running the co- company, you know. Mm, which he's is very it, honorable. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It is he's, he's uh, sort of a corporate responsibility type CEO. Mm. He's a nice guy. He and and you see like he's you know he's obviously promoted a woman into a high position and yeah. she does a really good job there even though she's married and she's a mom single mom too but out in LA essentially yeah. and yeah yeah so you see you see a lot of those kind of 80s things that were probably that were that were it's it's representative of that corporate world that people that is very much grounded in reality and yeah. the reality of that time. I think one of the, my favorite things about the movie now, watching it again, yeah. is um, John McClane goes on this fantastic character journey where he realizes that he was wrong. Yes. Which is, like, amazing. Um, he 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 was uh, not particularly supportive of Holly when she got the job. Yes. Which, you know, explains a lot of her behavior in, like, in not – using his last name and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the 
he was not supportive and he there's clearly some gender issues there where he's like I don't want my wife to be more powerful than me and that sort of yeah, thing and, and then he realizes that she won't use his name and she, yeah yeah he realized about halfway through the movie that he was wrong mm-hmm. and he says sorry for the first time pretty much ever mm-hmm. and there's I think that's really really great like mm. it's so especially when you compare it to something like war games where um the, the fact that the mum was working was like what's destroying their family that's not the case here it was his like he arrogance wasn't... and authoritarian style yes. that was destroying their marriage not yeah because what makes him so annoying as a husband make him really good as a hero here yeah. because he's his absolute really never give up persistence his willingness to hurt himself in order to make his get his way mm. would be and really his dedication to the job disrespect for authority and also how he has to be the boss of everything <laughs> so that, that would make him really difficult i think to be married to so yeah it is, it's an important journey that that he goes on there where he realizes that the, yeah that he was wrong that and, and there's that christmas message of course of the movie which is that family is more important than doing your job and following mm. being the boss and yeah, all but that it's kind a of stuff. different way of approaching yeah that, a much more fun way of approaching well, that message is, than a lot of the others exactly a message isn't going to get through unless it actually is fun and cool but there's also this really neat thing where like you only they only have john and holly only have like two scenes together yeah in the whole movie mm-hmm. but they feel really connected and they keep bringing up that connection throughout the movie yeah um which i think is really neat and clever and cute um and also um Alan Rickman is yes. in this movie and Alan Rickman is pretty much the greatest bad guy ever in this movie as Hans Gruber. He's wonderful. He's he's just perfectly pitched. He kind of looks so normal and he rarely like he, he really he's very urbane. He doesn't raise his voice initially very much. He kind of it's and when you put him under pressure, you see what he's made of. He's mm. a fantastic villain. Alan Rickman, master of the pregnant pause, mm. which he uses to great effect here. But yeah, he uh, and he has this sort of very. Um, I like the the storyline with the villains where they like they start out implying that they're terrorists, but they're not terrorists. They're just regular old thieves. Mm. And I liked the way that the movie sort of develops that. Mm. There's this um, great Holly has a great line. You're just common thieves. Yeah, and he's like, "There's no, we're not common thieves." <laughs> Yeah, that actually reminded me a bit of Mal- Malcolm Reynolds. But anyway, yes, um, well, not quite the same kind of thing, really. Yeah, that's it. Like he's, but I think that's the whole point. There's something. Yeah, he, he's 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 not a one-dimensional villain. Yeah, yeah. And this was Alan Rickman's first like big Hollywood movie too. Right, so right. Not that he looks. I was saying when we were watching the movie, he doesn't look young. We were watching War Games, and we were like, "Oh my god, look how young Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy are." Mm. Um, Alan Rickman. I don't think I've ever seen him looking particularly young. Well, this movie's like twenty-five years old. And to be fair, though, Alan Rickman, he's in his sixties now. Yeah, and he's you know he he does he looks different now. He's gone grey, but he's. You know, so he's probably wait, wait, it's twenty five years old. So he would be like in his forties then, late thirties, early forties, probably. Yeah. yeah, he didn't make it in Hollywood early or anything. Right. But I just think it's funny that yeah. he just still looks like just just like Alan Rickman to me. Yeah, he looks great. Um, but yeah, it. I and I love the bit where he's where he pretends to be the American to try and trick John McClane. I love that bit. Yeah. Every time I watch the movie, I'm like, yes, that five minute part of the movie is coming up and I'm so excited. Yeah, he's so good because the- he's got that distinctive voice and you think he's always going to sound like Alan Rickman and he pulls it off. Well, the thing is, he's, the American accent is notorious for being not good. 
Mm. But like, there's all these interesting um, debates over whether he is pretending to be Hans Gruber doing an American accent mm. or actually trying to do an American accent. I think he's pre- being Hans Gruber pretending to do an American accent. I think it's meant to sound a little bit not quite right. Yeah. Well, I f- always figured that because like- Yeah, that's what I that thought. That would seem obvious because why would he be really, really good at doing an American but he do- accent? But what he doesn't sound like is Alan Rickman. Yeah. He doesn't sound like Alan Rickman. Which is a quite- quite the thing to pull off because that's well I was going to say it's a very unique voice but it isn't him and Benedict Cumberbatch both have it but they (laughs) have this thing where it feels like they catch something in their throat when they're talking I don't understand exactly how it works but there's like a growl to it yeah and he doesn't sound like Alan Rickman so I I always think it's Hans Gruber playing American and so that's that's why I did too but Mm. yeah because yeah, of there's no reason for him to be really good at doing an American accent. No. I mean, he has this cultured sort of British accent, but like it's a really good German-British accent in that there's all these little hints of German that come through mm. the British accent he's doing. And I'm like, why would he be so good at that and then really crappy at doing the American accent? That's not yeah. doesn't make sense unless it's Hans Gruber doing it. But. Right, exactly, exactly. Yes. I've got I've got this note here that says Holly Gennaro has exactly zero time for your shit and I can't remember <laughs> what it's in response to. I don't know, but I think that's true. I think she has exactly zero time for anyone's shit. Yeah, it seems it seems accurate. I just yeah. can't remember why. It's at some point after now I have a machine gun ho ho ho. See, what I have written after now I have a machine gun ho 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 is random boobs. Uh because there's like a couple of random shots of topless women one where they bust in on a couple who are having sex in yeah, one of the offices. i remember that one and then there's a like a playboy style poster up in the in the um in the co- back like the, the next floor up is a building site hmm. and he's in like a back corridor or whatever and he goes past it twice and the second time he goes past it he says hi girls and like blows a kiss and there's this it's his poster it looks like it's been pulled out of playboy or something of naked women so oh. i just wrote random boobs because you, you just a couple of times you just see boobs and i'm like oh right yeah, I know. I saw this movie when I was like 12 or something. Right. So. And it's here it's rated M15, which is like the recommendation is that you shouldn't watch it till you're 15, but like you're allowed to watch it if your parents say you can. Well, it's kind of like a parental discretion for kids under the 15 kind it's, of It's rating. essentially, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not it's a step up from PG, but it's not um the next rating up. It's not an R, whereas in America it's rated R. Yeah. Which is just it's just funny. Cause I kind of you can't imagine waiting till you're seventeen to see oh R is eighteen sorry you can't imagine waiting till you're it's eighteen seventeen in America yeah eighteen here yep is so R. You, you can't imagine waiting that long to see Die Hard it seems like the kind of movie you watch as a family and but you forget- R is the same R is um you can go if you're with parents yeah um uh, or yeah. if like yeah it, R is you can go if you're with adults NC seventeen in the states is right. you absolutely of our R rating so it's the equivalent of an R rating is like our MA rating which is if you're um fifteen you can only go if under fifteen you can only go if you're accompanied by an adult yes okay right that's how it works but yeah here it's not even an MA it's a M which is like recommended that you don't go if you're under fifteen I don't yeah. I don't think they check ID at the counter or anything <laughs> no right yeah uh, so it, I just think it's yeah I I saw this when I was so young. Um, and yeah, I remember it, well, the the random girl think, cut, they they pull out of the the naked girl right, and it ran room, on but. TV. Uh, but yeah, so it gets edited for TV and it shows on TV all the time. So they just you know bleep out all the motherfuckers and, and then they but um, you know leave in all of the violence. Yeah, violence probably perfectly the boobs. acceptable. Swearing, no way. Oh, actually, I don't know. The boob probably pushed the boobs over the probably edge. cut. Yeah, more cut. Yeah, um, not because to do that. again, sex is usually more mm-hmm. um more um 
I can't think of words tonight. What's the word? Censored. It, censored. Sex yeah, it's is no more censored yeah. than violence. Yeah, sex gets worse treatment than um than violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My note. John realizes he was a sexist asshole. Character progress. Feminism. <laughs> like exclamation <laughs> points at the end of everything. Character progress. <laughs> feminism. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a dork, honestly. Oh no. Well, there is an interesting reading there of like about white white uh, blue collar men learning to cope with with feminism and yeah. women's progress and stuff like that. Well, yeah, because I think most of the movie sort of suggests that blue collar is generally better than white collar. Um, oh, yeah, Especially yeah. particularly with the um, the cops. I have a douche list that I started. So I was – douchey things are like corporate lawyers, mostly corporate people. There's a whole lot of douchey bureaucracy in the police, like captains and dispatchers and his captain back in New York and the FBI are douches, the media are Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, they do. Big Johnson and Little Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> from the FBI. Mm-hmm. One of whom is Darby from the Goonies and the douchebag head of uh, the douchebag um leader of the cops. What are they called? The yeah, no, I read him. I said Chief. Him. the captain. Yeah, I know, but that was captain, the police deputy captain, captain, whatever he was. Is the um principal from Breakfast Club. Yes, yeah, that's right. Him. But yeah, it's got this real um playing a very similar role to the mm. principal in Breakfast Club. Yes, it's definitely got this blue collar guy on the street. It's better than corporate white yeah. collar um, vibe to it. Yeah, especially yeah, because then Al and and John um, Al is his buddy on who he contacts. He's this policeman. He's the cop who picks up the radio. Yeah. and takes his call for the, for the first time, and then tries to leave. So John throws a body out the window at him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they make this really, really good team and they have like the same instincts about stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there's this bit where Al is out on the street and the guys are shooting at them and the and the um, chief of police is like, they can't see anything. And Al goes, they're shooting for the lights. <laughs> and of course they hit the lights yeah, exactly. and knock them out. Yeah. And then they, there's also like a little scene where there's a um, an electrician mm-hmm. or an electrical worker and he's like, we can't knock out all of the buildings you crazy um, right. the, the, for the ele- electricity it's christmas yeah. eve we can't knock out a whole city block and then um davi johnson is like just do it or you'll be fired doing another one of those like blue collar versus yeah, bureaucracy kind of things exactly yep just to cement their douchiness yeah and of course things like having na- pictures of naked women up on your building site is very blue collar even yeah. the whole thing where where john mclean's office in the building is a building site yeah. And the um there's also that reporter who's a jerk. Yeah, that's yeah, I had he was on the douche list. Media was yeah. on the douche list. And that is a whole uh whole other thing which is uh, sending up that culture that was probably was sort of only really getting going at this point of cable news. And they um you you every so often they'll cut to the local news channel and they're they don't have any content to any new content, but they know that there's this siege going on at this building downtown and that's the only story they're covering so they bring in this expert who is clearly not an expert and he's talking about the psychological effects on the hostages and that they all have Helsinki syndrome. <laughs> you can't get that right. But is that that thing where Stockholm syndrome. Yes, it's yes, that's the correct response. But the uh the the point being that the cable news networks will just put on Eddie Idiot to keep the story rolling and keep making a thing out and of it. And then they do that Helsinki, Helsinki Finland thing. Yeah. Which is hilarious as well. Right. So, yeah, there's all yeah. these little bits and pieces going on, on mm. around. And, and chasing down too. his kids as well, where they chase down the kids at home mm. and they put them on the TV. And and they threaten the uh, blue-collar um, um, Spanish-Mexican, I the, assume, the worker. Maid, yeah. Uh, maid, no, sorry, the housekeeper, yeah. Who yeah. is babysitting them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
And they threaten her with deportation in order to get what they want. I'm sensing a theme here. Yeah. But yeah, let's go back to mm. John McClane. Yes. Because John McClane is like the prototype for all of these comedic action heroes now. Yes. Um, he's sort of the original, like, blended, like the everyman, but also mm. actually being funny. Instead of saying cheesy lines, he says clever lines that are funny. Mm. And he's very, very likable and, and uh, you can connect with him easily. You know, his dislike of certain things and, like, the bureaucracy and planes. Mm. <laughs> um and then his love of cowboy movies, which comes up a lot. And then also there's, <laughs> come back to the coast, let's get together, have a few laughs, that bit in the tunnel, in the vents. You can see a sort of interesting tra- trajectory of heroes, heroes' journeys from like John Wayne and his, he always played the same character, so I'm saying John Wayne, to Luke Skywalker, to John McClane. Like you see this, the you know this hero modernizing of what your hero looks like, and we we get to this point where the the guy standing up against the establishment and saving the town is now has been transformed into this modern action hero. Yeah, um, yeah, and he's the everyman who's, but he's not. Uh, I think there's also this moral gray sort of thing creeping in where he's not like a total hero in every aspect of his life, mm-hmm. which is important as well because he has flaws and he has something that you can like he has that actual sort of character journey as well mm. where he develops yeah. as a person right and he and he is he's not he's scared of things he's scared when he's up on that roof and he has to jump over the edge and he's scared when he well i mean for, putting aside the questionable choice to go for your gun and not your shoes anyway he he um he's a cop yeah that's, i know right <laughs> Exactly what? Yeah, exactly. The point oh, of you know, is. it's the whole I mean, point of that. That's it's it's a very telling character moment that yeah. one. But you know, he's he's what his greatest enemy in the whole thing is that walking across broken glass, and mm. he that they're very human moments because that's it's one of those really effective moments of audience empathy having mm. him walk across broken glass because everybody knows what that would be like. Yeah, and everybody can relate to that. Everybody can relate to being terrified of jumping off a building. But I think also there's this thing where um, there's this sort of – in action movies, there's this over-the-top nature where, like, mm. they just keep having to beat it. And you can see it in the Die Hard movies where right. each movie has to have the broken glass moment and they have to keep trying to mm-hmm. up the ante on those moments. And you're like, but there's a reason why the broken glass is so effective. Yeah. Like, you don't want to up the ante too much on the broken glass moment because it becomes something that you can't connect with. Yeah. Whereas that moment is something that is like – he has to do this in order to save his life, and it's so so painful and right. so like yeah, and, yeah. and no, yeah, not wanting to bring in the later movies, but yeah, they they do they have to. But it's not they, just the never... diehard ones; it's mm. other movies as well. Yeah, and I think that's one of the problems with a lot of the superhero movies that we're seeing now is trying to keep them relatable and have those moments where you mm. can relate to the thing that they have to go through. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And the the of course, and the biggest attraction of John McClane is he's not a superhero. Yeah. He's just the guy who's always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. I like the recurring musical themes. I talked about the music before, yeah, but well, both Ode to Joy and Let It Snow are actually sung before they're played in the movie. Right. Which is kind yeah, of cute. You, uh, Alan Rickman walks in whistling Christmas carols. He No, he's whistling Ode to Joy. He's whistling, sorry, yes. Ode to Joy is not a Christmas carol. I forget that. There's a great bit at the beginning, which uh, you made me write down, where they're in the he's in the limo and the driver's playing uh, a piece of rap music and he says, "Don't you have any Christmas music?" And the driver says, "This is Christmas music." And of course, two seconds later, it becomes evident that it is. 
I yeah. love it. That's a great comment, like meta comment on the whole film. That I thought that could be our thing for this this episode. Don't you guys like any Christmas movies? This is a, a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. <laughs> um, what's his name? Argyle. Argyle, that's the it. driver. Yes. I was like, it's something to do with material. Plaid. No, that's not right. Driver, <laughs> <laughs> not plaid. His name. <laughs> it was close. Argyle is close, right? Right. Jeez. Um, yeah, that he's another one of those black supporting there's, um, characters. There's Argyle, there's one of the team that Hans has assembled, and then so you have racially diverse cast on yeah. both sides, although the Asian guy that he has working for him is a stereotype. Yes. Who we barely see. Yeah. Um, and then Al and one of the Johnsons and all of those guys. Yeah, so it's it's pretty pretty good on that front really. Yeah. And I the- really like Harry Ellis. <laughs> Oh, really? the like, um, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like him because he's such a douche, but he's he brings so much to the movie. Yeah, he's great. Um, he's funny and he's like he's such a jerk. But also, there's that bit where he, he tries to make the deal. Oh God! And yes. you're just sitting there and you're like, oh my God, and Harry, he's, stop! He's just failing on so many levels, and then he puts everyone's life in danger. Yeah. Oh. Like, but it uh, does. It brings a lot to the movie. Like he's yeah. a really well written character mm-hmm. and an interesting character to have in the movie, and he's funny. Yeah, you um, don't. Uh, I mean, you just you did just talk about someone on the villain team who's a caricature, but basically, you don't have badly written cardboard villains in this. Yeah, yeah, they're all kind well, of well. Most of the um the minions are uh, two dimensional villains, mm. actually. Yeah, because the the black guy's the nerd. Mm-hmm. You can tell by his nerd glasses, mm-hmm. and he uh, he the Germans is and the muscle kind of interesting with their machine guns. Yeah, and then there's sort of a bit of a like through line there where one of them gets killed early on. John mm-hmm. kills one of them, and so for the whole rest of the movie, the other guy is like, "You killed my brother. <laughs> Prepare to die." Yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah. kills him but me because he killed my brother. Mm. And then he gives Al his hero mo- moment as well at the yeah. end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was nice. And the backstory for Al is at least more interesting than some trite, like, I lost my wife or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, it was great. He yeah. accidentally shot a kid. That was a great backstory for a cop. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that part. Mm. Yeah, me too. Me too. I actually thought there was a cool bit. I, I'm just going to go back to the music for a second because they do a line. The line, then give them helicopters, comes right on top of Ode to Joy. And I thought that was a bit <laughs> of an Apocalypse Now moment. Yeah. Which I thought was really cleverly done. Yeah, and uh, it was funny because they I I like the um, juxtaposition there where Johnson and Johnson think they're so clever and they're one upping Hans Gruber, and Hans is like, and then we'll just blow the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. just gonna blow them up. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really sort of it. I mean, it just shows that Hans is like always one step ahead. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. He's planned this whole thing out. He knew the FBI were going to come. Yeah, he was because, just waiting for them. Which is why he was pretending to be a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And then there's that bit where he reads off the list of like random terrorists who were being imprisoned. Yeah, he's, he's like, like oh, I, I read, read about them in Time magazine. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Bit. Oh, it's it so was great. great. I love Hans. No, he's really great. It, t- it tells you something when the movie is as interesting when the villain's on screen as it is when the good guy's on oh, screen. Oh, so much. And then like 20 times more interesting when they're both on screen together. Mm-hmm. You get movie about movies in mm-hmm. here. Like it's definitely nods to all the stuff that came before it. So you get that nod to Apocalypse Now. You get a nod to Gary Cooper and Westerns and things well, like think- that. There's you know your German villains, which is a nod to all those great World War II movies. <laughs> I think pretty much any any really great movie has – an appreciation for the movies that came before it. Mm. 
Um, it has an appreciation for the good movies that came before it and the things that worked. And that's how they managed to make a new movie that's good is by taking those ideas. Because, I mean, there's no really original, completely new no. movies. There are only, like, new twists on old stories, right? Mm -hmm. So every time that they can manage to um, acknowledge that other people have done this well before them mm -hmm. and then take those elements while also bringing their own thing to it is when yep. you get something like Die Hard, which is like mm -hmm. a sort of shining beacon of, yeah. of um, wonderful in this action movie genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just takes a great kind of basic story about a man, his wife, and a perfect three-act screenplay. and <laughs> <laughs> Separated by which shirt? John is wearing. Yeah, he said in the movie. That's right. He's he's white. It's a white singlet getting dirty in the first one, first act, and then he. I think he actually changes shirts, but it's gone brown by the second, and then he takes it off for the third. Yep. Raising the shirtless stakes. third act. <laughs> it's very important to have a shirtless third act, don't you? Know? Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I have something that's going to be on our Tumblr this week. Uh, so you know Hans Gruber's famous death scene, right? Yeah. So that is um was quite deliberately echoed in Dumbledore's death scene in the sixth Harry Potter movie. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Alan Rickman had a great time of it being on the other end <laughs> of seeing Dumbledore fall off the top of the tower. Yeah, I hate the sixth Harry Potter movie so much. Yeah, but that's so, not, nothing so on the, those actors or particularly no, I know. those characters. That does sound entertaining. It's just, I, I think, a, yes, a, anyway. If you bring up the sixth Harry Potter movie, it sends a shiver down my spine. Well, I will be I have reblogged it some point during the week on a Tumblr. <laughs> Nothing against Alan Rickman. I thought he was yeah, a great Yeah, anyway, snake. apparently he took great delight in um in in doing that scene with Dumbledore. And you can even see it the way Dumbledore falls is kind of like he, he he it's that same Hans Gruber thing. Like it's not overdone. The slow-mo. It's real it's slow-mo and it's Well, that whole scene is mm. kind of overdone in Die Hard, but it's a good overdone because the thing is that like the mil the movie builds really well, mm -hmm. so nothing feels like over the top and out of nowhere because everything sort of links into the next thing and it all kind of yeah. makes sense for the next thing to happen and that sort of thing. And there's th there's that more of those links between the good guys and the bad guys because Johnson and Johnson talk about how there's acceptable losses of yep. casualties yep. and and Hans is perfectly happy to lose some of the yeah some of his own team as well. So there's all these kind of links between them. But, um, but yeah, because it builds so well and every action has a logical consequence in the next action and uh, mm. or in the, in the reaction. And then there's all those bits about, you know, you've got the setup with the detonators and you don't know what it's for and then you find out and that sort of stuff. But what, in later movies that try to be diehard, what you see in these is those scenes where the hero is holding on by a hand to the villain over the edge of a building. You have dialogue you have overblown dialogue you have it, it it goes on too long there's hands slipping there's all kinds of oh will they won't they it doesn't do any of that he holds him there's a moment of tension gruber brings his gun around and mclean just has to make the decision let him go like there's it, it no there's and there's no dialogue trying to get his hand off holly sorry um, Hans Gruber isn't holding on to John. He's, He's holding, holding on Holly. to Holly's hand. Yeah, but she so, has to let him go. Yeah. Sorry. So John's trying to pull – he's trying to pull Hans's hand off Holly's. There's no, like, John McClane trying to save Hans Gruber. John McClane never tries to save Hans Gruber. He's trying to kill him. Like, he's trying to get him off Holly. So a lot of movies, you know, they're like, oh, it's the he's the hero. He has to try and save the bad guy. Right. John McClane has no interest in saving the bad guy. He's just trying to – get the bad guy's hand off his wife so his wife lives. Mm. He's trying to save Holly. Mm. It's true. I believe it's just not how it looked. 
when I was watching it. Yeah, because um, he nearly it pulls Holly like... out the movie out the window with him. Right, and then John is like he's hold, trying holding on. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand off. that. But there is a moment there where they're holding on, and you think that they might just he might just be okay, and then he brings his gun around, and there's no chance. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, Maybe that's I how I it. saw it. Because he, he does have because Gruber's there long enough to kind of start bringing his gun yeah. around. Well, they and then while they're sort of working out what's going on, and he just drops it. However, not entirely the point of what I was saying, which was that there's no dialogue. Yeah, you just kind of watch it but all it- happen. It's just I'm curious now because it it's the difference between yeah it's, like it is very the, different it's a huge difference in in who John McClane is like it, is he the guy who tries to save his enemy or is he the guy who tries to kill him mm. is and and there's no indication to me from earlier in the movie that he he would try and save like yeah I so I got he the, did try and save Harry but Harry's not a guy who's trying to blow people up he's just a dick he's just yeah he he wasn't that was a different matter but yeah I I kind of got the idea that. He didn't want anyone to die if they didn't have to. That was yeah. so. That was my, which was my reading of, which means we both we read it in different ways. Uh, so my, yeah, my reading was that he kind of he doesn't want him to die if he doesn't have to, but if he has to, he's going to die. I'm looking it up. I'm going to watch it again. Okay, and then I'm going to find out. Mm-hmm. Die Hard Death of Hans Gruber. Oh, he takes the watch off Holly. Mm. So Hans is holding on to Holly's watch, and then. <clears throat> Bruce Willis is making funny faces. Hmm. Sorry. And then Hans brings the gun around and he's trying to get Holly's watch off and he gets Holly's watch off and Hans goes. Yep. So he doesn't try to save him. Right. He's, he's, he's trying to get rid of him. Yeah. Whereas that's actually fine. That works That works in my head. That's, <laughs> oh, that's that, it's good. okay that the movie was like that, is it? That's the No, the, it's <laughs> fine. Like, I, it, Well, it's obvious that uh, John McClane's making a deliberate decision to drop this guy. Yes. But I, I, I sort of thought that – I think it's more – I don't think it's quite If he as... hadn't tried to drag his wife out the window, I don't think he would have kept – like he, he might have just like, – he might have just brought him in if he, had, yes. if he hadn't tried to kill his wife. That, I, so that's Well, yeah, I have about. a feeling he would have tried to bring him in too. But, I mean, mm. I, I'm not saying like he would have pushed him out the window – Unless he was trying no. to kill him so much as like it's it's not a um it's not a deliberate decision that he's making here. No. Like no, no. he's just trying to get he, Yeah, he's um, trying to save, get Hans yeah. off Holly. And that's what happens. And then he makes this face in the video where he's like it's great. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. they won't be able to hear that on the You podcast, won't be able to hear you making funny. your face. <laughs> it was it, I saw it in the thing and it cracked me up. Uh. And he's got like blood dripping down his arm from the cut on it and yeah. he's all beaten up and shirtless and yeah oh yeah it's completely silly. meanwhile hans looks exactly the same in his suit and then there's that terrific moment right at the end where the blonde guy comes up again and he's like Rah! and he got, pulls the gun and it's slow motion again it's just so pretty this it's so well shot mm-hmm. like the lighting in it is amazing mm-hmm. the lighting in like those scenes where bruce is where john is crawling through the vents and some of the other ones where there's you know traditional 80s fog lighting where there's lots and lots yeah. of smoke and then you've got like lights lighting up the smoke and then people's faces coming through and stuff yeah oh anyway let's wind up on die hard i suppose yeah anything more you want to say other than it's a christmas movie and don't, there's no doubt about it <laughs> well it's the ultimate christmas movie it's everything i want for christmas it's got explosions and it's got a guy who realizes that he was being a jerk and you know um, has a good character journey and reunites with his family and reunites with his family and it's got Christmas music and it's got Alan Rickman what else could you possibly want from a Christmas movie precisely <laughs> I'm with you I think the general consensus is that it's a Christmas movie yeah 
and we like it. Uh, are we going to give star ratings? Yes. Sure. What's a star rating? Five stars. Me too. Five stars. What else can you possibly give it? Exactly. So, yay. Thank you very much for listening to Silver Screen Queens. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to take a few weeks off over Christmas and have a little break. If you want to give us a Christmas present, the best Christmas present you can give us is to write us a review on the iTunes store. <laughs> Otherwise, you can visit our Facebook page or you can follow us on what's that other social media called that we do? Twitter, Twitter Tumblr. Twitter at screen underscore queens. You can come and hang out with us on Tumblr while we do Many nerdy things, although this week I have a whole heap of Christmas movies lined Yay. up on the Tumblr for your reblogging pleasure. So you can find us there, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of all of the movies that she watches, and she watches a lot. She's just trying to get through 100 every year. She's nearly there. Nine more movies this year. Yeah. Oh, eight more. Eight more today. Woohoo! <laughs> awesome. So you can do that at her blog, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Merry Christmas. I don't know if we really want to sing. Fine. I don't know if that's really something that people want to hear. Our karaoke version of Let It Snow. Oh. Oh, the fire is slowly dying, but my dear, we're still goodbying. And since we no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. 